You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. Open your Bibles now to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 12, and let me read this. So just verse 12, and then I'll pray. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. That is actually really, really good news. And so I've entitled this message, How Jesus Changed the World. A very simple title, very straightforward title, but I want to be in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I want you to follow along with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, please come and visit your children and please help us to understand the riches and knowledge of you. And so God, now I pray that you would enter our minds, that the Holy Spirit would have released upon us, that there'd be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. God, that there'd be power that would be animating, Lord God, in our assembly to you, that it'd be of your divine will to visit with us. And so be glorified as we desire to love you more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Say it with me. How Jesus changed the world. So a few thoughts as I'm in the latter part of Romans chapter 5 here, and working through this book of Romans, which is so fantastic, I love that it's so linear. And so how did Jesus change the world according to these verses that we're going to study, according to the thoughts that we have here at this very moment? Well, first of all, you can think about how could you change the world, and how has the world been changed historically? So if you want, you could sort of go through something that I love, and that is military history, and you could talk about a general. And there have been all kinds of generals throughout the history of the world who have actually changed the world. Uh, Caesar actually crossed the Rubicon and appointed himself an emperor and created a Roman empire that was actually very prophetic in terms of the gospel timeline and by which actually uh, the Savior would enter into those Roman roads and the gospel would spread to those Roman roads. And so some people would say, well, if you want to change the world, be a, be a general like Julius Caesar and, and have, have military might like that. Okay, fair enough. Others might say, well, perhaps you want to be a politician to change the world. Maybe Jesus was a politician. There are people who think that from time to time. And maybe it's about legislation. After all, you know, we do have have a book written. Fascinating that Jesus didn't write anything when he was here. (laughs) These are all the words that he spoke that his followers recorded down by the power of the Holy Spirit. But a politician will, of course, create a series of legislations, and they'll they'll write something to the legislative body, and then it'll work its way out through culture, and then it it will do what it's supposed to do, depending upon what that legislation is. So there's some people who say, if you want to change the world, be a politician. There's others that are will say, well, how about an inventor? If you really want to change the world, be an inventor. And, you know, in terms of uh, modern history, we would look at a guy like Steve Jobs, who, you know, most of us have sort of his influence here, whether we like it or not, with our phones, with our computers. And, you know, he has a famous line where he he wanted to make a dent in the universe. And he certainly pursued that with, with tremendous, per, tremendous energy. And so some people would say, if you want to change the world, uh, perhaps you want to be an inventor. What's fascinating is Jesus changed the world and he was not a military general in the sense that we think of it. 
Even though it was true before Pontius Pilate, he said, do you not know that I have a legion and legion and armies of angelic hosts that right now could take you down on my behalf? So even though he is that, he didn't operate on that realm that way. And some people think Jesus could have been a politician or maybe he was an inventor of a religion. He was none of that. Jesus Christ is God. And as God, Jesus Christ came to set you free, individually to set you free in such a way that the actual divine purposes of your life would begin to live out in the economy and kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to talk about and pursue. And so one of the fair things to even talk about in terms of the permanent change of Jesus Christ and what he did in a life and what he does in a life that's so different than a military general because if you're paying attention, a military general will come into a land and he'll win and he'll win, but there's always this conversation, did he win the peace? And then if you just go enough years and go enough years, well, you know what? Some other military general comes and takes the land and off we go. And politicians have legislations that get changed all the time. And inventors have other people who invent things. But no one's ever going to beat Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Prove that he's God by going to the cross and dying for your sins and being resurrected on the third day. But related to the permanent change of what Jesus offers to us, and even the introductory words, which is therefore, talking about all the things that came before in that chapter, and then the mentioning of sin in this world and death through sin. Listen, when Jesus brings salvation into our lives, here is one of the first things I want you to understand that is the biggest change that will ever happen in your life. And at church, if we get this right now, if we get this right now, we could never build churches physically build enough, big enough. We could never have tents big enough because here is the pivot. Here is what Jesus Christ shows us. Are you ready? How to love God. Paul here has been talking about the law, and if you've been with us in our studies, I'll, I'll refer to the law and get back to it again, and he's going to certainly answer into it in the context here. But what's fascinating in the Bible, when you read the Bible, you get to the book of Revelation, which you should read. Comes with a blessing, by the way. And in the book of Revelation, there's a series of churches that are mentioned because the book of Revelation is after the cross. And it's years after the cross. It's decades after the cross. And throughout modern Turkey, which is really Paul's backyard, that's where he's from. And there's all these churches that have been planted. And so Jesus is going to come now and he's going to speak to these churches that have been in existence for a few decades. Speaking in chapter 2 to a church called Ephesus. It's a great archaeological site even to this day. You want to get there. You want to get there. And Lord willing, I'm going to take you there. But Jesus comes to the church at Ephesus and he says, you know what? You guys are great. You're really great. I mean, there's these people who, who, who say they're apostles, and you have the word in such a way that you can test and find out, are they really an apostle of mine or not? And you will actually correctly tell those who are heretics to go away. You're protecting the sheep. Good job. And you'll have other complimentary things that he'll say about them. But then he says, 
I have to have this conversation with you. You who love the scriptures, you who take doctrine seriously, you who want to do ministries and want to be engaged in evangelism and want to plant churches and want to minister in your communities and want to gather in home groups and want to worship me. I have to have a conversation with you. Speaking to the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. And that bothers me. See, it's so fascinating, that principle. Because when we talk about the first love, we, we, just, we just do away with morality in a sense. We do away with the, the Old Testament law in a sense. We do away with every other kind of barrier in a sense. Because Jesus is asking all of us, you right now, us gathered as a church in this body, do you love me? You have pain, you have setbacks, you have challenges in life, you have things positive and things that are quite negative, you have challenges in your life and things that you're trusting for and overcoming. Do you love me? We talk about love. Give me one more moment, I'll get into the text. Proper. So in human relationships, you know what we have to do? We have to teach one another how to love. So if it's an illustration of a married couple, it's very common, uh, generally in the marital dynamic, uh, one person wants to be loved one way and the other person wants to be loved one another way. And that's sort of, that's sort of the dance. It's sort of teaching the other person, this is what it looks like to love me. And usually the tension comes when the other person says, why do you want me to love you like that? I don't want to love you like that. I want to love you in a way that feels comfortable to me and familiar to me in a way that's easy for me. The way you want me to love you like that is that's hard. Yes, and it requires work. And so that's the dance. And so you have friends, it's the same way. And so we have things that we'll tell one another in friendships about how to relate to one another. And then even in professional life and work, we'll constantly talking to one another about how to, you know, at least honor and respect the other person or work well together. And God just comes to you right now and says, hey, church, Ranch Church, are you paying attention? Do you love me? With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, do you Love me. That's the back story to verse 12 and on. So the principles that I want to talk through in terms of how Jesus changed the world, this is the one man principle. At least that's what I'm calling it. For the text is going to say, read it with me now, church. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and now the explanation that Paul will give us, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Let me pause there, because as Jesus fulfills the law, all of the Old Testament laws, it wasn't that those things were bad, it's that he's a fulfillment of them. And so if there's no test, you can't fail the test. That's what that means. How can you fail a test when there's not a test? Right, so, so if it's school and, and to get the A, you have to get these 10 questions right and you get the A, well, then you got to get these, te these 10 questions right. Yes? Yes. We take away the test, you get the A. We all say, how does that work? 
Well, Paul's going to get to it as we talk about grace. Yet death, reading on, reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So the one-man principle is this. This is what I want you to tap into a digital device or write down. This is what I want you to own and understand. And I would pray that you would even talk about this at lunch, that you would talk about it during the week. Here is the one-man principle. It goes like this. If one can destroy, one can save. If one person, one man could actually destroy everything that we have and bring the wreck on humanity that has come, then one can actually save. And some people will say, okay, well, listen, pastor. You know, I, I get that there's sin in the world, but look at my sin was not like Adam. I've heard this. Maybe, maybe you're into Bible study really well and you hear a version of this as well. But there are people out there that will sometimes push back because they know the scriptures and it's bothering them because they're saying, well, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, correct? Church? Yes. Well, isn't that a different judgment standard on me? God isn't walking with me in the cool of the day. And by the way, pastor, it seems like, you know, the garden was a perfect place. This isn't a perfect place. This is a place of strife and tension and death and violence and hurt. Adam had it good. Why is that same standard coming to me? Paul will say it's true. Even though your transgression is not like Adam, who was a type of the one to come, nonetheless, sin is on you. If you were Adam, if we were to switch places, you would have the same behavior as he would. You would have the same problems that he would. That's the principle and point. I think it's so fascinating when people try and prove themselves to God. And so socially, sometimes I'll be in conversations with people trying to prove themselves to God. And they'll say something like, okay, well, and here it is, right? I'm not a murderer, right? Have you ever heard that? You ever heard that? Yeah, okay. So, hey, I'm not a murderer. You know what I say to that? I'm really feeling good about that. <laughs> if you're not a murderer, then I don't really have to feel physically threatened. You know, that's nice. That's good. Okay, okay. Well, that's great. Let's just, let's just go a little farther, you know. And then usually, almost always, what comes up after that is, I'm not a liar. Okay, we're not a liar. I'm really glad about that. But then, let me, I asked somebody, I asked somebody recently, I said, okay, so you're not a liar. Of course, they, 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 they go, yes, pastor, I'm not a liar. Good. Are you perfectly not a liar? Have you never embellished? Have you never ever spoken in error? Well, I didn't know that was the standard. Well, what is the standard? No, the truth is, my friend, as painful as it is to admit to yourself that there's been moments in your life maybe even long seasons in life when you've actually been a liar. So you're not a murderer, thank God for that, but you don't speak truthfully, you're a liar. Okay, so now we got that, where else you wanna go with it? So even though, is what the scripture's saying, we're not Adam literally, Nonetheless, each of us, if we want to be sober 
or, or allow a spiritual conviction to come to us, we'll have to admit something that is painful for us. We are indeed sinful. There is something wrong with us. And so there's this transgression that we all participate in. But what Paul is getting at is this one man principle that if one can destroy, if Adam could destroy through one, one single act of disobedience, then one can save. Okay, let's keep moving to the second, the second principle in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. You can say amen. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the free gift principle. And the free gift principle goes like this. God's roots are greater than man's fruits. I hope you like that. God's roots. And this is why I love this vineyard and farm. It's fantastic. Because as you go around the property here, what's so interesting is that as we're discovering more and more, the soils are not the same. Now, I'm not an expert at this, so I'm actually discovering things as they are told to me and as I get educated about these things. But around the farm, 62, 63 acres, the soil is not the same. And so, so we have this community farm just on the other side of the property. At the first location that was thought of, things didn't grow well. That was just moved a little bit yonder, we might say. And then, boom, everything just grows abundantly. It's amazing. When you have a root system in God, you will have God fruit. When you have a root system that is man-centered, human-centered, that fruit will come up as strife. That root will come up as failure and broken relationships and lots of negativity. This free gift principle is absolutely one of the transforming truths in of our lives. For the free gift following many trespasses. Many trespasses. So you know what's fascinating? When I was talking with these people and we're, I'm just enjoying, I, you know, uh, I didn't kill anybody. I'm not a liar. Like, I, just, I just think that's one of the most bold things somebody could actually really say. I am not a liar. No, actually you are. Don't hit me because you said you're not a murderer. The many trespasses. Can you look God in the eye and say you only have a single trespass? I can only look God in the eye and say thank you for amazing grace because I am guilty of many trespasses. I have known the right things to do and not done them. But the grace of God, which covers all of my sin and all of our sin, creates an anchor and a true dynamic change because the free gift gives to us in Christ the root system of God. I'll talk more about repentance in just a few moments, but let me just read out this section here in verse 18. 
So therefore, this is verse 18 now of that chapter, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's a nice hallelujah right there, right? Because what Paul is saying logically, if you think this thing through, think it through, church, think it through. If one sin is covered by grace and the free gift of God, every single one is. Now he's going to finish with this line. Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So in this section about how Jesus changed the world, Jesus changed the world by the one man principle that if one man can destroy, one can save. Jesus changed the world through the free gift principle where God's root system is greater than man's fruit. And now this third one, which the exchange life principle that says that death has no power over life. And you're going to like this. This is so good. Death has no power over life. And so for those of us who have actually seen loved ones and friends go home a bit too early, we have the pain of that in this lifetime without a doubt. But the truth for them is that they're stoked. This body of sin, it's not talking back to them. They're dancing on streets of gold. I like to share over and over again that your pastor really likes trying to stay physically fit. You guys have heard me talk about this, right, from time to time. And some of you join me in that. You know, you'll send me text. You'll say, Pastor, I didn't eat any cookies today. I go, yeah, that's because you brought them over my house. <laughs> some of you will text me and say, I gave up potato chips because of your message. I'm like, no, give up sin because of the message. <laughs> Just having fun. So it matters not how fast I can run, how good I can diet. This is going to go away. Hallelujah. Because I get a new body in heaven. And so death has no power over life, even in this lifetime. And there are hopes and dreams that people have that they feel can never be resurrected. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ has hopes and dreams for you to resurrect. He does. He does. Faith in him is never a loss. And he has death, has no power over the life of Jesus Christ. It's so fascinating because it speaks of, the scripture speaks of eternal life. And yet that eternal life invades the here and actually the now. I'm so moved by John chapter 20. I'll give this to you as a reference, which is after the resurrection. And so what's fascinating is after the resurrection, so Jesus is in a garden uh, by the tomb there, and they don't recognize him. You know, there's not Twitter, and there's not Instagram, and so it's early in the morning, and they don't recognize him, and then he reveals himself, and so they cling to him. They're clinging to him, clinging to him, and he says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. You can't cling to me, but they won't let him go. This is a true description for all of us who have gone from death to life. 
You taste the grace of God, you don't want to let it go. You taste the love of God, you don't want to let it go. And after the resurrection, they were clinging, actually, to Jesus. But I'm so moved by what happened a chapter before. There I was referencing John chapter 20. But John chapter 19, verse 28 because Jesus mentions this word that is so deep and profound. In the original, it's called totelestai. And you can just hear it and try and spell it. It doesn't matter if you try and transliterate it, but it's called totelestai. Because Jesus is on the cross and he's going to die and he's going to die. And he's looking around at the economy of God and whether he's accomplished his work. And he says, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. That's that word totelestai. I I've finished all the work for you. I've done that. And so I take you and I hold you in my hand. This is the earlier teaching of John. And I take you and I hold you in the Father's heart and I never let you go. I take you all of your sins and your failures and I completely wash them away. I take you in your life and I hold you in my love. I take you in my life and I hold you and I actually cherish you knowing you by name, knowing your circumstances intimately and personally. It is finished. You don't need to strive anymore. You can now pray directly to God. Isn't that a blessing? Listen, I love the fact that you guys will ask me for prayer and I'm going to actually ask you guys to come forward for prayer in a moment. But isn't it a blessing that you don't have to wait for Pastor Rick Soto to pray for you? Isn't it a blessing actually that you have a mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's more powerful than Pastor Rick Soto, who can actually give you direct access to God through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't it a blessing that 24-7 in your day, that access to God can transform your life, your business, your family, your health, and your actual human destiny by God? Because you have this access directly to God. Jesus said it is finished. And so I want to ask you guys, just to get moved with God, I want to ask you to come forward and do business with God. And I want to speak about forgiveness as I just share this last thought related to these verses. Let's talk about repentance. If you know what repentance means, raise your hand. Oh, yeah, that's great. Let's talk. (laughs) Repentance. So repentance is the principle, which you're probably thinking correctly, of going one way and then going another. So as I'm in front of you, I'm walking in one direction, and then repentance, of course, is just turning around and walking the other way. It's also considered in the original Greek language a military term where a commander would see a soldier actually walking away, and he would command that soldier to actually turn around and go a different way or back to him. So that's repentance. And Christians understand it as beautiful and sweet. Let me, let me just do, a, let me push a little farther to help you understand repentance in terms of our spirituality. When you repent of your sin, you change your future. Can you say amen? You change your present. Can I get another amen? You change your past. Can you follow that? That's repentance. Because when I repent of my sin, you're going to say, how do I change my past? I can't undo it. No, no, you can't undo it. That, that, that's not possible. But the difference for your past is instead of becoming something bitter 
and shameful and regretful? Right? Because I think if I asked all of you, how many of you guys have regrets? You'd probably raise your hand. Right? We have those. But when you actually enter into repentance, you're changing not just your future and not just your present, but you're actually changing your past because your past becomes something that's not just not bitter, that's not bitter, or that's not regretful in that sense, but something that's transformational. So I look at my past, as Christians do, and I say, praise the Lord, I've matured from some things. But that past actually made me who I am today in Christ. It was part of the road. And even though it's not a road that I want to walk down again, it's part of the redemption. It's part of the plan of God. It's part of the lessons of God. It's part of that root and fruit system of God by which I would know and understand all righteousness. And so my past is actually even transformed in that sense. That's the beauty of repentance. That's the beauty of forgiveness. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.